Panama Today is on the air. This is Pastor Bill Wilbur in Gamboa on the Panama Canal. Glad you're with us, folks. Have a message today that I preached earlier at the Gamboa Union Church on the topic of hell to shun, heaven to gain. And I want to take you into that service, which has already begun. The scripture that I'm using is Acts 16, verse 19 and following. Acts 16, 19 and following, which is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus not being the one that Jesus raised from the dead, but this is a person's name in this parable. And uh, Lazarus was a rich man who never uh, paid any attention to Lazarus, a poor man, a beggar outside of his gate who was there. And then it came the time for them to die. And uh, Lazarus was on one side of a great gulf and uh, the rich man was on the other side and they were separated. And now things have changed. That the beggar now in the bosom of Abraham in an honored place is in comfort. And the rich man who had no concern for the poor and no concern for the things of God is now in a place of torment. And so I want to take you into that. I've read the scripture, and you now know where it is, Luke 16, verse 19 and following. And I'll be just picking up on the last part of that parable. Now, we could end right there to make some points, but so you get the complete parable. It goes on to say, but Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm, like a big gulf, has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone from your side cross over there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. Still given orders, you notice this? Still, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they all have the scriptures and many have responded, but just because they have the scriptures, does it mean that they are going to respond? Correct? No, said Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead, uh, it says, no, Father Abraham. He said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And this is true, isn't it? Even when Jesus came back from the dead, not everybody believed. So this truth goes on and on. Here's some quick things I want to bring to you. There was a man, a pastor, who was praying for his daughter. Pastor of a fairly large church. And he had one child, his daughter, I had several children, but this one child was in deliberate rebellion, left home. And she got involved in immorality, 
and drugs and all kinds of junk. And it just broke the father and mother's heart, what was happening. And every Wednesday night at prayer time, they would pray for that daughter. And on one particular Wednesday night, suddenly the pastor was gripped with such, such an urgency for his daughter. And he, he hesitated drawing attention to himself and his personal needs because other people there had their needs. And there was a lot of people at this prayer meeting. He stood up and he said, with the support of some other people, that my daughter is in serious trouble right now. And some other people from the church encouraged him and says, we need to pray for your daughter now like never before. And so for an extended period of time, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. About three days later, on a Saturday afternoon, there was a knock at the door. A knock, not just coming in. The mother opened it and there was their daughter. She didn't look very good. Didn't look well at all. And the mother had her come on in the house. Then they sent to the other room where the father was studying. And said, Dad, there's somebody here to see you. Father came in. He saw his daughter. And he began to just cry. He ran and he threw his arms around his daughter. And she was crying and she says, Daddy, will you... I'm so sorry, will you take me back? They said, oh, yes, yes. And she says, I first want to tell you what happened to me. The other night, and it turned out to be that Wednesday night, when they were praying, she was miles away in another state. Hundreds of miles away. She said, on that Wednesday night, I was tired, I went to sleep. And suddenly I woke up and I had a, a, an awareness, a vision that I was dying. And I could feel the life just going right out of me. And as the life was going out of me, I began to be able to look over the edge of this big like cliff I was standing on. And I felt I was dying and I was losing it. And I looked over and I could just see and smell and hear the screams, the torment, the darkness, the, just the horribleness of hell. And she says, I knew I was going. I had rejected the Lord. I had rejected what you taught me and I was on my way. And she said, I had a little bit of strength and I cried out. Jesus, Jesus, she knew there's power in that name. Jesus, save me, help me. And she says it was like I was brought back. I was like on my way and I was pulled back. And I felt the life go back into me. And when I woke up, I knew that something had happened to me. And she says, Daddy, I knew that I need to give my life to Jesus. I came that close to dying and going to hell. She told her, Daddy, hell is real. 
It's horrible. She repented of her sins. She asked her mom and dad forgiveness. They restored her in the family. And he testified that now his daughter is son so on fire for Jesus Christ because she knows what hell is like and what she has been saved from. Some of you may have heard of a Bible teacher, an evangelist by the name of Kenneth Hagen, Ken Hagen. His testimony is that when he was a teenager, he was in bed for months and the strength began to go out of him and although he had been very active, he became sicklier and sicklier and sicklier and he was so close to death. The pastor came into his room, the mother brought him and they kind of said last words and then they could hear him talking outside the door, well, your son doesn't have much longer and all this. And he says, I could hear it all. And he said, as I was getting sicker, then I felt my heart stop. And I started to descend into utter darkness. I descended deeper and deeper it's like there was no bottom and it was just so totally black and the most horrible, eerie feeling. But he said, I had been baptized earlier in my life, but I had never given my life to Jesus. I had just done it because others were. So he said, I knew enough to cry out to Jesus. I cried out to Jesus and it was like I stopped and the Lord brought me right back out of that. He, Kenneth Hagin, went on and is alive today. I don't know what his exact age, probably in his early 80s, but still with a very powerful teaching ministry and praying for the sick because he knew how God raised him back from the dead. And then there's Benny Hinn. Some of you may or may not have heard of him. But a number of years ago, when Benny was early in his ministry, God gave him a vision. And in this vision, it was like he was standing at the side and looking at like a large uh, plane. Not an airplane, but uh, a field. Much bigger than a field. A large plateau, large flat area. And it came to the edge and it dropped off. He knew right away in that vision that that was hell. And on the, this surface, it was full of people. Full of people. It's kind of like the feeling, the, the, the situation when you see people trying to get out when a soccer game or football game is over. And, and, and there's these masses of people. And, and, and if you're in this group of people, even if you decide to change directions, you know, you forgot something back on your chair. You forgot your umbrella. Forget the umbrella, because you're never going to be able to turn around and go against the flow. And he saw multitudes, thousands of people just moving like this, and falling off into hell. 
just going like that. And as they got close to the edge, they realized what it was. And they tried to back up, but there was no back up because the crowd was just pushing and moving like this. And Jesus said, narrow is the way, and few there are who find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. And multitudes go down that way. And why did I tell you this? It's because sometimes when we read the words of Jesus or a parable of Jesus, sometimes we detach ourselves from now and then. Right? Very easy to do that. They're talking about customs I'm not used to and I haven't seen too many kings lately and luxury and, you know, gates and beggars and dogs licking sword. I haven't seen that. But that was very easy to see in the time of Jesus. And so people knew right away what he's talking about. But when we see this story like this, and then people today having the same kinds of experiences of what hell is like. And as I told you last week of what some visions of heaven are like. Jesus spoke about hell. And there's different words in the Bible used for hell. Has anybody ever heard the term Gehenna? It starts with a G-H-E-N-N-A. Gehenna was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where there was always smoke going on and always a fire going on and always a stench. I grew up in the times in New York State before there was air pollution problems. Now the problem was there, but they just didn't do anything about it. But we had a dump outside of our little town. And that fire, that dump always had fires. As soon as you turned down that dirt road and headed toward that dump, which we went to many Saturdays to get rid of junk, you could see the flame. That means you could see the smoke. And then when you got closer, you could get in to smell it. It was horrible. Horrible smells. And Jesus said, and likened hell to Gehenna because of the stench, because of the flames and the torment. And it's a continuous burning. That's in the book of Mark. And then in Matthew 8, he, uh, he mentions about hell being a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, you know just out of sheer distress. And it's also a place of terrible loneliness. Has anybody here ever been lonely? Well, you're not lonely maybe this morning right now, but do you know what being alone is or loneliness I mean, you could even be in a group like this and still be experiencing loneliness. You're not alone, but you have loneliness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had that when I was in the Navy. Had it when I first went away to college. Sometimes they call it homesickness. But I want to tell you, if you haven't experienced, that's one of the most horrible feelings. And an aspirin won't help. You know? And... Uh, that's an outer darkness. And, and it's almost like a contradiction of terms because one, it says there's flames in this. Well, flames, fire gives light, doesn't it? And yet there's, yet there's the outer darkness. 
And I believe what the scripture is seeking to tell us here is that both of these places are places of torment. And sometimes it's it, it, the imagery given here uh, is that of torment. Uh, and it may have the fire giving you the idea of that. Uh, most situations where we hear of torment or of, of a bad situation, it always has an end to it. My experience in the dentist office, you know, and the drill is down there, you know, it doesn't feel good, but I know it's going to be over. You know, even if I don't have any teeth left, eventually everything's going to be over. Even if he drilled for the rest of my life, it would be over. Understand what I'm saying? But with hell, there's no end. You know? It, it just is on and on and on. And that's why in Matthew 25, he refers to it as a lake of fire reserved for the devil and fallen angels. Let's quickly look at some... I want to give you five points out of this very quickly, and, uh, out of this parable. Number one is that life has its opportunities... And what we do with this life determines our eternal destiny. You only get one shot at it. Life has its opportunities, and what we do with those opportunities determines our eternal destiny. Number two, and I believe this is true, in this parable, when the poor man died, how did he get to heaven? He had an angelic escort, didn't he? I, I, that's better than a police escort. The angels accompanied through him through a difficult period, a time where he might have feared. And I sought to bring comfort to you last week as you are in, as you have given your life to Jesus Christ. When the day comes for you to go from this world into the next world, that God, who loves you so much, with his angelic men, uh, uh, army and, and tremendous numbers will escort you on into the presence of the one who saved you and gave his life for you. Number three. Basically, there are no second chances after death. You say, yeah, but you just told us these stories. The first who dealt with a person who had died, had experience, and he was seeing something and he cried out to Jesus. I would not count on that. I, I, I would not ever teach that. That you have a split second after you die that you can quit call out to Jesus. Because the Bible doesn't really teach that in fact, it teaches the opposite in this parable. The scripture that says that it is appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. We were talking before the service about purgatory. There's no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. That came up years ago and somebody used the verse that deals with the blood of Jesus that purges us from our sins. But that's what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. Cleanses us from our sins. And purgatory basically has come up, and even those who do not have a background that talks about purgatory, 
or ever heard it in their church still have a mental idea about purgatory. They do. You know what they, why they have that? It's because when somebody dies, listen, they say, he, well, he wasn't quite good enough for heaven, but he wasn't bad enough to go to hell. Anybody know what? Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever think that? See? I want to tell you, it's very difficult as a pastor to begin a telephone call and say, please come do this funeral. And I, and I had lots of those funerals, especially in New York State. I had funerals. We had 60, 70 people in church, and we had 250 people on the rolls, members. And so when one of those people died who had never been to church in the five and a half years I was there, they'd call me as the, as the local pastor who they had that connection and say, please go do this funeral for my dad or whoever it was. See? And I'm supposed to come and give these words of comfort. You know what I did with those things? I let whatever the family wanted to say, let them say about their relative because I never really got to know them. And then what I would preach on is what the Bible says of the promise of eternal life to all those who will commit their lives to him and follow him. And then let the people out there in the congregation come up with a conclusion. Instead of saying, we all know this guy. See? And I have a pretty good idea where he is right now. And if he could come back right now, he'd probably have the smell of smoke. You know, <laughs> I would never do that. But a lot of people, and then i got to tell you this one thing. I led a guy to the Lord hours before he died. The day before, I think he died that night. The guy had never been to church. I don't even know if he was on the rolls, on the membership list. And he had gotten sick or something. And his stepson came to our church. So he said, could you go visit my stepfather? So I went to visit him in his trailer. And he wasn't doing very well health-wise. And so I talked to him about the Lord, and I let it, left him literature. I checked in on him once in a while, see what he was doing. But then when I heard he was in the hospital, and he was doing very badly, I went into the hospital, hour drive or whatever it was to get in there. And I went, and the guy was so weak, he could hardly respond. And I said, Wilson, this is the time to receive Jesus as your Savior. See, he wasn't going to be able to throw me out of the room. He didn't have any strength. You know, he was just laying there. In fact, I just pass this on to you. If you find yourself in a situation like this, I said to him, because he was so weak, there's two things I do. One is, I take my finger and I place it in his hand. And I say, Wilson, if you can hear me, squeeze my finger just once. And I feel a little pressure like that. We're on track. The other thing I've done is I say to people, if you can hear me, blink your eyelids twice. Don't just say blink your eyelids. He may be just blinking them anyway, see? 
Blink your eyelids twice. I did that with a cancer patient once. And he died later that night. He'd received the Lord a couple weeks before that. But Wilson responded. And I asked him, had you sincerely prayed this prayer? And he prayed and he squeezed my finger and he, yes. And I left that room knowing that he'd received the Lord. He went on to heaven. I was asked to do the funeral. He had been in the fire company. Volunteer fire company. Little town in the mountains. The day of the funeral, all the firemen showed up. All the volunteers. Most of them are guys who never go to church. I had them all in one room at one time. All of them. And this is where we tell it the way it is. And I, there were about 40 or 50 of them. And then other family members and so on. And so I went through the funeral book, read the scriptures, said some things. And then I came to this part. I said, most of you here have known Wilson a lot longer than I did. I only knew him for about one year. People had known this guy for years. He grew up in that little town area. But I said, one thing that perhaps you don't know is what took place the last 24 hours of his life. And then I told them the story. See? Now there were people sitting out there and I said, oh, not Wilson. Oh, yeah, not this dude. He's not in heaven, you know. You know? But they didn't want him to be in hell either, see? And so I, I really explained to them what was going on, but they could not understand the thief on the cross thing that Jesus will take you home even at that last minute to be with him when you cry out to him. But you never know when that last minute is going to be. In his situation, his cancer was a blessing because it gave him time to get ready. You understand what I'm saying? And so that could turn out to be a blessing. The point in all this is that there is a time and when it comes, there is that separation. There is no middle place. And that's why Jesus said, He who is with me, great. But he who is not with me is against me. He didn't say, He who is not with me, you know, there's a little space where you can hang out. And then there's the never-nevers over there. And that's a tough thing because we do not understand that the scripture says that the wages of sin is death. If there was any other way after a person died that we could say prayers, we could light candles, we could pay off the priest, whatever we would do, money to the poor, the church, if there was anything we could do, Jesus would not have had to die for our sins. Why send the Son of God to the cross to die for our sins if, if money will do it? See? But the great message of the cross is money is not even in the equation. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you, can, you have an education or you don't have an education, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter who your parents are, anybody can give their life to Jesus Christ and have eternal life. 